Hey, greetings. Welcome to Categorical Imperatives. As always, I am your host, Lockheed and Liberal. I want to thank you all so much for joining me here today. Now, if you are new to the show, I would especially like to welcome you. This is a podcast where we're going to be applying legal theory and moral philosophy to discussing current events in law, politics, and culture. Now, I've got something a little bit different for you guys today than what I would normally do. I, I think anyone paying any kind of attention to the bluster and the rhetoric that we have been hearing from the White House uh, in this kind of grudge match with the Russian government fighting over the affections of the good people of Ukraine, you have likely noticed, as I did, that so much of what we are being told feels like there is big, important chunks of information absent from the reporting on it, at least in the corporate media. So I had an opportunity today to talk with Dave DeCamp to try and get an understanding of what exactly is it that's being left out. Now, Dave is a writer and managing editor over at Antiwar.com. He has been putting out some really stellar articles on this particular conflict over uh, U.S. and Russia and Ukraine. So check out this video's description where you will find links. I'll I'll put a number of his uh, relevant articles right there in the links. Uh, They're definitely worth checking out. And if you're a regular listener of mine who for some reason still is not familiar with antiwar.com, you gotta go check those guys out. They have fantastic uh, contributors, uh, people such as Scott Horton, Kyle Anzalone, uh, Sheldon Richmond, and even some really interesting, notable guys such as Pat Buchanan and Ray McGovern are all uh, regular authors featured over there. So definitely, definitely go check them out. I will be putting a link to their site. Uh, well, it's, it's easy. It's just antiwar.com. Anyways. So you will also find out in the video description uh, links to where you can find uh, my work as well, too. Uh, from the backup of the show that I do over on Odyssey to the audio version I put out on places like Spotify and Anchor. And you can go and uh, read my other work at places such as Substack, uh, the Tenth Amendment Center, and the Libertarian Institute. And if you enjoy the show and you like the channel and you want to uh, maybe either leave us a tip with PayPal or uh, become a patron over on Patreon. Uh, you can find links to do all of that down in the description as well. And if you're not in a position to uh, invest in the show in that way right now, that's all right. I still do really appreciate you coming by and spending some of your time here with me today all the same. And that goes for whether you are a first-time viewer or a long-time subscriber. Now, I just want to note, I had some issues during recording where my mic kind of got a little flaky a few times. So uh, a few of the questions I I asked him don't come through terribly clear, uh, but his answers all come through great. His mic sounded perfect, so I, I, I apologize for that little glitch. I just... I tried to fix it, and you're getting the best I can do here. So, uh, anyways, yeah, enjoy the interview with Dave.
right, we are recording. All right, hey, All right. everyone. Welcome back to Categorical Imperatives. I, I am joined today by David DeCamp. He is the managing editor over at antiwar.com, uh, and I have him on to talk about uh, the recent stuff going on uh, with Russia and uh, the United States over Ukraine. Uh, so, David, thank you for uh, giving me some time. Welcome to the show. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, Bob. Yeah, uh, and do you, before we kind of get started, do you want to just let people know, uh, like a little bit, just in, introduce who you are, uh, what you do, where people can find you online, stuff like that? Yeah, so I, I write, I work for antiwar.com. I'm the news editor, uh, so I focus on the news uh, stories that you see. If you go on the website, you'll see the news section is up top. Um, I've been doing it full time for about a year and a half, but I started writing for them in like, 2019 so it hasn't been that long uh and so you can find all my work at antiwar.com uh i'm on twitter at decamp dave i'm not i try to stay off there i'm not super active on there but i usually post articles and stuff uh if people want to follow me there um uh, but yeah so for if anybody doesn't know antiwar.com it's a non-interventionist uh project we're you know libertarians the staff mostly uh but we kind of publish stuff from all different political viewpoints uh you know the main you know it's like a single issue website uh anti-war non-intervention so yeah that's what we do yeah really classic website too i mean they've been around forever yeah 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 it still still looks like it too <laughs> we gotta yeah. update to yeah stage. it still kind of does actually but that's yeah. right the information is created that's what's important you know Mm. All right. Uh, well, so uh, the reason uh, I wanted to have you on to uh, talk about Russia is just when it comes to uh, foreign uh, policy kind of stuff, like it's really hard uh, to get any kind of accurate information. Um, like it, it feels to me almost like if all you were watching was mainstream media, you would get the idea that just recently – out of nowhere, uh, Russia just started amassing hundreds of thousands of troops on Ukraine's border for no reason, with no provocation whatsoever. Um, and so, which I doubt is even true that they were amassing troops, uh, but that whatever is going on happened without provocation. Um, so, can you kind of mm -hmm. where where does this go back to? I mean, how far does this uh, sort of current issue go back? Well, I mean, you could say it goes back to the collapse of the Soviet Union and the decision not to make Ukraine part of Russia. But for to keep it more narrow, you know, the latest crisis, it really goes back to 2014, which is when the, the United States backed a coup in Ukraine to overthrow uh, Viktor Yanukovych because he was more pro-Russia than the U.S. wanted and then some political elements inside Ukraine wanted. And, you know, there's no disputing the fact that the U.S. was involved in the coup. Um, the most infamous thing, there was a leaked phone call, uh, and it was Victoria Nuland, who's in Biden's State Department now, but at the time she was like an assistant secretary of state under Obama for like your, I forget what her title was, but some kind of assistant secretary of state. And she was talking with the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine at the time, and they were basically deciding who was going to, take over the government once it was overthrown. Uh, and then, you know, a few days or weeks later, there was an overthrow and these people ended up in charge. So that was a, obviously, if you're Russia, 
you know, that's a huge, that's a pretty major provocation. That's as if Russia, it's like a cliche point to make, like what if Russia was doing it to us, but it's an important point. Like what if Russia overthrew the government of, of Mexico um, or helped overthrow the government of Mexico? I mean, that would be, uh, that would be so major. Um, so this happened and this is what sparked Russia to come in and annex Crimea. Um, and, you know, it's also important this is very, it's just, these are important points that this is what kind of sparked all this. You know, they, they say Russia invaded Ukraine to Crimea for no reason. Um, but it was sparked by the coup. There was a referendum. People vote, you could, you could dispute how accurate it is. I think they said like 96% of people in Crimea voted to join Russia. Maybe you could dispute that. But at the end of the day, they, you know, took Crimea without firing a shot. So I think that says that the people of Crimea were happy to join Russia. And the, it's another, it's a historical thing. I mean, Russia had a, had a naval base in Crimea, um, you know, since like the 1700s and, yeah. and throughout the nineties and two thousands, they're renting it from Ukraine. Um, it's a strategic spot for Russia. And then also that coup also sparked the separatists in the Eastern Donbass region, um, Donetsk and Luhansk, their the, self-declared the republics or whatever. Uh, they're not Chechen, but they're they're in eastern Ukraine. Okay. Um, they're Russian speaking. I think eth- ethnicity wise, it's kind of half Russian, half Ukrainian out there, but they're mostly Russian speaking. And they rejected this post coup government. Um, and they actually asked Russia if they could join, if they could be annexed and join Russia. And Putin oh, said no. Really? I, that's a yeah, yeah, yeah. So these these are big details because if Putin wanted that area of Ukraine, he probably would have just taken it then because he already took Crimea. Right. So, so you get in and, um, you get into this now with everything, like you said, if if you don't follow this, I mean, when I get my car and, and and just turn it on before, like I hook up my Bluetooth, I think it's NPR comes on. Yeah. And like just this morning I heard that like, Oh, Russia is still massing troops at the border, and uh, they're they're gonna, probably going to invade Ukraine. And there's this Russian fueled war that's been going on in eastern Ukraine, you know. And if you don't know any better, then it 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 sounds like yeah, they're preparing. They're like Russian troops are lined up at the border, like looking into Ukraine. Right. But really, um, and but what seems to be happening is Russia has bases in the region, and it does seem like there's more troops there than there were. But they're not right near the border. Some are over 100 miles away, one in the north that is closer to Belarus. And then the base in Crimea is the base on the, you know, on the Black Sea. It's not uh, closer to Ukraine. It's closer to the Black Sea than Ukraine. And a big part of that, that is because the U.S. and NATO since 2014, but especially in like the past year, have really increased their activity in the Black Sea. I mean, if you look at the Black Sea, it's like a landlocked huge sea the only way in is through the i think it's the bosphorus strait in turkey yeah i don't know if i have that name right but that's the only way in you know it's basically like a huge lake and in the u.s and nato are just uh there's always warships in there they're flying spy planes and bombers near russia so you know this is all left out of the mainstream narrative right yeah it's uh it, it seems like a great example of yeah, I think what Scott often refers to as like a truncated view of history where you, you just kind of start wherever it's convenient for you to start. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
and, and, and you know scott oh, go ahead I, I was just gonna say scott has you know his knowledge of history is way more extensive than mine so i'm sure he he would be able to tell you more about you know how far back this this really goes but in modern history it's really 2014 is like the pivotal the pivotal year yeah well his his knowledge of just about everything is more than other people's i found so it, it, yeah. whatever you talk to him about he just he already knows everything about it it's insane but yeah um, so I, I guess then if we like you're talking about if we have uh uh, NATO and the U.S. and the Black Sea, uh, I, I mean, isn't that a provocation on our part, really? Was that unfair to say? Yeah, it, I don't think so. I mean, that's how I look at it, and that's how Moscow looks at it. Uh, and so right now, you know, kind of the good news is that there's been a lot of talks between the U.S. and NATO and Russia, and they're kind of continuing. They held talks last week. Russia, they, they presented like a series of security proposals to the U.S. And they're like kind of key demands where they want to promise that Ukraine won't join NATO like ever. And uh, and then they, they want to work out agreements on the deployment of like their militaries near each other's borders. Because, like I said, there's always these spy planes and sometimes bombers flying near Russia. And uh, Latvia and Estonia, two countries that border Russia, they're both NATO members and there's major U.S led drills there each year a few times a year usually um so yeah and then you know the u.s the establishment view is that oh it's not a provocation we're helping you know all these european countries are scared that russia is going to invade so we have to be over there helping them um but i think it's just nonsense and what's happening with ukraine i mean i really don't see russia has not like nothing to benefit from invading ukraine from like trying to topple the government. I mean, that that's not going to happen. Yeah, and it seems like uh, it, people always assume that Vladimir Putin is like an irrational actor, which is the complete opposite. I, I mean, this is a cold, calculating guy. I, I mean, he, mm. the way, when we watch the news, I mean, you get the feeling that he's just, he's liable to do anything at any point for any reason. And uh, that just, that seems to go against everything that, you know, we've known about him since he kind of came to prominence. Yeah. Yeah. He's a very smart politician. Um, you know, whatever you think about him, there's no denying that. So the response, so like I said, kind of the major rush demand, cause Ukraine is what they call like a prospective NATO member. I think in 2008, they promised them that eventual membership, and then when Yanukovych was in from 2010 to 2014, that was never like kind of a thought that Ukraine would join NATO. But now since they overthrew his government and, you know, taking Crimea, I guess that took away a major kind of more pro-Russia voting block. Yeah. So Ukraine as a whole and as a whole country, they probably just vote more pro-West, uh, I guess you could say, or EU. <laughs> but right. um, so... Yeah, and, and, and so Ukraine uh, joining NATO, that's always been a red line for Putin. Um, and the U.S. and NATO public, publicly kind of rejected that demand, but they're still talking. I mean, Blinken, Secretary of State, he's meeting with Russia's foreign minister uh, Friday, again in Geneva. So they've both said they're open to talking about missile deployments and arm, more arms control stuff. So hopefully the talks continue. I think that's kind of the only good sign here. 
well, yeah, hopefully. But it, it just, it, it seems like, like you said, the one real big red line is, uh, uh, you know, Ukraine not coming into NATO. It seems like we're really not bending on that one at all. Yeah. Well, actually, I should mention this. In December, because um, this is all the public stuff, in December there's an Associated Press report that I think they cited a State Department official or you know, an anonymous Biden administration official that said the Biden administration made clear to Ukraine that they're not going to be joining NATO for at least a decade, which basically means that, you know, you're not joining NATO anytime soon. I mean, anything that happens in a decade, things can change so much by then. So that is kind of, you know, maybe some sort of compromise can be made there with Russia, like they'll guarantee it for a certain amount of years, but... I don't know. Yeah. Russia seems like they're not settling for anything less than that. But it's like this is all the public. What we're hearing, the bluster. Hopefully, there's some deals being made behind the scenes. Right. It, it, well, and speaking of uh, uh, bluster, I, I, I guess one thing I wanted to ask you about too is uh, it, I actually thought you just had a more recent article uh, that I think the title was "White House Claims Russia Could Attack Ukraine at Any Point," uh, and. Mm-hmm. Is there any reason to believe that other than the White House's say so? It it just it, it I mean it just seems like they're completely throwing that out there for for no reason. Yeah, I mean they've been doing this since like November. They've been saying uh, you, that Russia's plotting an invasion, but in the past few weeks it's become more and more like they you know making it sound more imminent. Uh, but I mean I really. I don't see any reason to believe it. Um, in the in eastern Ukraine, in the Donbass region, there is a war zone there, and there's it's been a stalemate for the most part since 2015. Um, but there's flare-ups occasionally. So I think the thing you have to worry about is something flaring up there, and then they'll, they'll blame it all on Russia, and then that can be like their proof that oh, you see, we knew that Russia was going to invade. Um, right. You know, and Russia. I'm not sure to what extent Russia's support for the separatists there goes. I think there might be maybe some deniable special forces. Um, But then again, there's also the U.S. and they have like deniable special forces in Ukraine. So they can't really give Russia a tough time for that. (laughs) And they I'm sure they give them some support through weapons and stuff. But, you know, it's not a Russia exactly a Russia fueled uh, war at all Um, like the like that NPR segment made it seem like that I heard this morning. So, um, and, you know, the, the U.S., they, they're accusing, this was last week, they said that Russia is plotting a false flag in eastern what? Ukraine, that they were going to, yeah, yeah. This was last just last week. Um, oh, man. So they said Russia was plotting a false flag against the separatists in eastern Ukraine. So they were going to, and then, they they said Russia was going to stage an attack on the separatists and then use that as a pretext for an invasion. So there you go. They kind of set it up. So if there is a flare up, if Ukraine attacks the separatists, they're going to say, oh, it's Russia's false flag, right. and, which is yeah. just such nonsense. Yeah. And there is also this the false flag like claim was kind of overshadowed by uh, or it, it overshadowed another report. This was from Yahoo News that said um the CIA, it revealed that the CIA has been training Ukrainian paramilitaries in the United States since 2015. Um, and, you know, this was another 
it was like five, they cited anonymous officials, but it, it's a pretty believable report. And one of the sources said that the program was training Ukrainians how to kill Russians. Um, that was a quote from a former CIA official. So, I mean, you know, wow. imagine that the other way around, that Russia was training Mexicans to kill Americans or something. Right. Like it is, you really have to consider their their yeah. viewpoint. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it almost uh, it seems more worrying that uh, the news coming out of the White House that it sounds almost more like uh, like we got another neoconservative in office. I mean, just making anything up he needs to to get to where he wants to go. Yeah, like that almost seems more more uh, uh, threatening or more troublesome than actually what's actually happening over there. Yeah, well, I think that there's kind of like a lot of factions in the Biden administration yeah. and there's one that's more hawkish with Ukraine and they're kind of controlling the narrative by planting these stories in the media. Um, and cause, uh, the, the false flag claim, it started as a CNN report, an anonymous random official told Natasha Bertrand, who, who's a CNN reporter, who's basically a discredited journalist. Cause she, she like built her career on the steel dossier. If the, uh, that yeah. fake opposition research document that had like the P tape, Trump's the all the dirt on Trump and Russia that yeah. everybody knows now is just nonsense. And that's how yeah. that's how she started her career and like got boosted and got her job at Politico and now CNN. Well, so there's no reason to believe it. And then it jumped around to like every major media outlet, and then the White House started seeing it too. And they never said that they had any evidence for it. Like they just yeah. said, we have information. Crazy. Yeah, although I mean, like you'll still hear people. I mean, even today, uh, uh, talking about the the steel dossier and the the Russian collusion. Like, it it's amazing that there's still people who seem to be clinging on to that too. So I don't know. Yeah, and you got to think how much of, of that is kind of fueling the propaganda we're seeing, the anti-Russia stuff that you see on TV, because people are ready to swallow it because for four years five years they were screaming that russia stole the election right yeah so, yeah yeah so um I, I want there's something else i wanted to ask you about uh, here too before we go uh it, it kind of shifts gears a little bit um but i don't know if you've seen this but there's sort of this big thing going on where uh, uh putin uh put out a statement recently where he was talking about how uh, the problem with uh, with empires, and he essentially compared the Soviet Union to uh, the United States. H have you seen that at all? Um, no, I, I haven't actually. That oh. sounds interesting, though. Yeah, it's well, it's really interesting. Yeah, he was talking about how the problem with uh, empires is that they uh, start making a lot of uh, small mistakes, and there's little corruption, and there's little lies, and and things like that, and it builds uh, up and up, uh, you know, and. Uh, Essentially, that that is all those little things building up uh, that leads to uh, really the collapse of an empire. And so I, I was kind of curious what you thought about, because it's, that's really controversial. A lot of people are uh, really getting upset about that. Like, it's not true, but I, I was kind of curious mm -hmm. about what you think there. I, I mean, I know it sounds like you haven't heard it yet, but... Um... Yeah, no, I haven't, but uh, I mean... You know, what he's saying, like, I mean, if you look at the U.S. empire right now, it's not looking very good. 
especially after Afghanistan. Right. Um, you know, anybody, any schmuck with a with the internet connection could have told you that the Afghanistan withdrawal would have been happened that way because of how uh, the U.S. backed Afghan government was just completely. Uh, it, it would just have never up on its own. You know, this was very obvious to anybody who had half a brain. And there was even an inspector general, a U.S. government that was saying this the whole time too. And uh, it happened, and everybody was shocked by it. But uh, it's because it was just it was a, a money making scheme for you know the weapons makers and the, and yeah. then that's really all it all it was. And the U.S. wants some control in Central Asia, which it uh, and it didn't want to give up those bases there. But um, you know, just watching that, like how quickly and how you know, just what a mess it was optically. It was so bad for the the uh you know perception of the empire um right and you know i mean at some point another like it does kind of seem like a flailing empire in decline in the u.s right now um yeah. one thing i think that's really uh telling is how quick the u.s is to sanction countries um you know there's there used to just be a few countries like cuba under like a ton of u.s sanctions but now there's there's a lot. I mean, it's Cuba, North Korea, obviously they've been for a while. But now also Venezuela, uh, Iran again. Um, you know, there's a chance Nicaragua could end up like that. And then you have China and Russia, and they see this and and they're kind of you know working to create kind of an alternate global financial and trade market yeah. that's not dominated by the U.S. And I think that you know how quick that will build up will could play a big role in the collapse of the u.s empire but also these things would take like a really long time especially with china you know they're like the new you know boogeyman for the u.s but they're also our top trading partner so it would take right. you know dec decades to really economically decouple from china um yeah. so i mean there's a lot of factors I, i'm curious uh, when you talk about the uh the the sanctions uh, what exactly is uh, the relationship between our uh, uh, you know sort of uh, desire to sanction or or what what does it say about us that we're turning to sanctions more quickly and that we're we're using that almost as more like a first line of defense uh, as as opposed to other I, I suppose I don't know more diplomatic methods or whatever you might want to say yeah I, I don't know I mean I think it it's just kind of like this bully mentality that the U.S. has like if a government doesn't fall in line they're just just immediately like they just go to the sanctions they're like okay we'll just destroy your economy okay, yeah. <laughs> like it's it's really uh it, it's just power it's just about power and control like they, they don't want anybody going against going against them um but i think it is revealing that uh it's kind of like a flailing a flailing move i think these sanctions and stuff yeah uh, and since you mentioned uh, China just a moment ago, there was something else I wanted to ask about. Um, so I'm actually kind of looking to an article of yours here from not too long ago, it, it, uh, talking about how U.S. is unhappy with uh, Russia-China ties, uh, and you are you say something that uh, the the political report said the most uh, 
the most striking and of greatest concern of the U.S. is Russia and China's increased military and technological cooperation. Uh, the U.S. concern over advancements in technology is reflected by the Pentagon's $715 billion budget request for the 2022 fiscal year, uh, $112 billion for the research of advanced weapons technology. I, I mean, is is that really necessary? I, I mean, don't we already spend far more than Russia and China combined on our military? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. And what's really kind of sickening is that I think that was before uh, Congress passed their version of the of the Pentagon spending bill of the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, the one that Biden just signed. He asked for seven hundred fifty three billion, and Congress gave him an extra twenty five billion. They gave him seven hundred seventy eight billion, and they increased that. I think the budget for the research and development that's like hypersonic. AI, robotics, you know, all this kind of scary stuff. Uh, yeah. So they increase that. Um, and it really is a bipartisan push. I mean, $778 billion in, in one year. Because you think now, like, some of these crazy spending bills they're passing, like $2 trillion relief yeah. bills and stuff, you know, a lot of them are over a certain amount of years. But the, the, the military is still just this massive budget. And then if you add the budget for the intelligence agencies and stuff, you get to a trillion quick for the annual, you know, the cost of the empire. Um, so, but, and that's, that's a big thing now is, uh, you know, you'll see a lot of stuff in the news about China's weapons tests, Russia's weapons tests. I mean, they're, they're really wanted to bring us into this new arms race just so people in Washington can make money. Um, sometimes I think it is just as simple as that. Because uh, there is just so much money to be made for these people, um, but yeah, and you know, people just have to be cautious. A lot of times, you'll see something like Russia tested an anti-satellite missile, which sounds scary. And you know, I think space weapons. I wish, I hope that you know, there's not this big arms race in space that just right. bums me out. But you know, the U.S. tested a missile like that like years before Russia ever did. So they they act like it's. Uh, that what Russia and China is doing is so crazy when the U.S. has been doing the same thing the whole time. Right. All right. Um, well, just uh, to kind of, I suppose, wrap up here, is there anything else about uh, uh, the thing with China, or not, excuse me, China, uh, the U.S. and Russia uh, and what's going on right now that maybe I didn't ask about or any point that you feel is important to make that I maybe haven't touched on yet that, uh, people who aren't familiar with this story should pay attention to or be aware of or anything like that? Um, I I would just, with Russia and the U.S., I mean, everything, I've just been focusing on this Ukraine stuff so much. Um, you know, there could be some other things going on that um missing, but I think the big thing to look out for, I mean, they just announced today, the U.S., that they're giving Ukraine an extra $200 million in military aid, and I think that's on top of the $300 million they're getting this year. Yeah. So that means they're pushing, they're getting close to like $3 billion in aid that they've just given to Ukraine since the coup in 2014. That is ridiculous. Yeah, so, and, and, and you know, the more that you see, the more that signals that the U.S. isn't going to really change tact here, and you know, the t tensions could keep escalating. But like I said, it's good that dialogue is happening. 
And there's a big difference between what we're seeing publicly from both sides, from Russia and the U.S., what they're saying and what they're discussing behind the scenes. Right. Um, but, yeah, I think just keep in mind that, you know, if you read anything about Russia right now, just don't believe it on your instinct. Uh, if it's foreign policy related, you could probably read about it at antiwar.com if it's related to this stuff. Um but in general, you know, that's a big part of the propaganda is kind of demonizing, making these countries look bad. Uh, you'll see the New York Times report about, I don't know. I remember when Russia really became like the bad guy uh, back in, towards the end of the Obama administration. Yeah. There's all this stuff about how, how Russia treats gay people. Like you always see, and with China now too. I mean, China, we're, it's just all about China. But, you know, and it's not like this stuff isn't happening, but it's, being exaggerated by the Western media to make them look bad, to get the people like primed to accept that they're like our enemy and that, uh, you know, we might go to war with Russia over Ukraine. Somehow that's even in a, a realistic option. And, or we might go to war with China over Taiwan. Another insane thing to think of because they have, they both have nukes. We just can't go to war with them. And neither Ukraine nor Taiwan are, are worth ending the world over. <laughs> no, yeah, or, I think that's or pretty rational. Or anything like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I, I think that will do it then. Uh, so, yeah, definitely, uh, people, if you want more information on this, uh, uh, antiwar.com is definitely the place to go. Uh, I will have links to uh, the website. I'll have links to Dave's Twitter. Uh, and I, I referenced a number of articles here. I'll make sure to have uh, links to all of those down in the description. So uh, go check Dave out and check those articles out uh, when you have a chance. And so, Dave, thank you uh, so much for joining me here today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yep. All right. Yeah.